Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanica. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. My name is Raik van Niekerk and in this podcast series I speak to finance and investment professionals about their investment journeys and why they chose a career in managing other people's money. The idea is to find those golden nuggets of wisdom to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Isabella Mnisi. She is the Sector Head for Asset Management and Funds at Rand Merchant Bank. She has been in the investment world for 20 years. Before joining RMB, she was at Ashburton Investments, where she held several executive positions. She also made a mark at APSA Capital and the Development Bank of Southern Africa. She is a CFA charter holder. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Science and Computational Mathematics. She has a postgraduate degree in Advanced Mathematics and Finance from WITS and a Master's degree in Commerce from uh, the University of Johannesburg. Isabella, thank you so much for coming into studio today. That is quite a mouthful. Do you perhaps still study? Thank you very much, Rake, for having me. I don't do much studying anymore. I find myself busy with grade six mathematics and uh, grade one other stuff. So I'm quite challenged. <laughs> I think after the academic world, the university of life is also very educational. But just give us a bit of background. Where did you grow up and when were you first exposed to investments? I grew up in a small village called Manzara village. The nearest small town is called Northam on the platinum belt of South Africa. I grew up there, raised by my grandmother. I went to school there, only spoke Setswana, never spoke English until I was about eight years old and moved to Pretoria. Went to school there and I applied for bursaries and I remember applying for bursaries to study computer science because IT was the thing then and I thought IT and computer science were the same thing. I learned later on, they were not. And I remember getting feedback from Old Mutual and Momentum and others saying study actuarial science. Didn't bother to read those things. I wanted money to study computer science. The first time I got introduced to investments was when I was doing my honours in maths or finance at uh, Vets University. Let's talk about mathematics. Obviously, you are an absolutely mathematics boffin. And obviously, computer science, you need a strong math base to be really good at programming. Why didn't you go the programming or the IT route after you studied? Why then switch to financial services and investments? Yeah, I must say spending hours and hours in a computer lab trying to debug a program that I'd written just killed my soul. And I thought, I cannot do this for life. There's better things to do out there. Look, this was 20 years ago. Coding wasn't cool. Right now, coding is cool. But at least I can still do you know, basic coding. So that's what happened. I just couldn't see myself behind a desk debugging or writing programs. So when I did um, advanced mathematics or finance, then the finance bug hit and I've never looked back. Tell us about the finance bug. What attracted you to it and why did you pursue a career later in the investment side of it? 
Yeah, I must be honest. I was recruited to the Advanced Mathematics of Finance course by uh, Professor David Taylor, who was running the course at VETS at the time. He's now at UCT. I did it as something to run away from computer science because I was like, there's no way I'm going there. So I need to do something. And then I got recruited by Deutsche Bank. I'd never heard of them, but these people were willing to give me a job and buy me out of my bursary that I had before. So I was just grateful. And then I got there and I found a whole other world that I didn't know existed. I mean, I had studied um, derivatives and other stuff, you know, so I got introduced to that world and worked at Deutsche Bank for a little bit. But I'm not a, a trader. What did you do? So I started off on the money market desk because I was a little grad. So I went for the grad training program. I started on the money market desk. I went on to the FX desk and then I went on to the bond sales desk. And then uh, that's when I thought, no, this is not me. I don't like to make decisions very quickly, just you know, pick up a phone, call somebody, make a price trade. I'd rather like to think, draw things down, write out, think about it and make a decision. And that's when I thought I'm not a trader. And then I moved into the world of structuring because there, you know, you've got a bit of time to think about things and put them down in paper and, and discuss your thoughts. But because Deutsche was an international bank, they didn't really have the muscle to do that in South Africa. And then that's when I moved to Rennbachet Bank. And your first personal engagement with the investment world, or put differently, when did you actually buy your first asset with money you've earned? Actually, not until I was given shares by my employer at the time, first rent. <laughs> so I had I didn't have enough money <laughs> to buy shares. But also, quite honestly, I didn't have enough people around me who were buying shares or where shares were even a conversation. You know, I was just surviving, you know, trying to plug here and there, you know, uh, helping out at home. So I just didn't have enough exposure and enough money. And then the first set of shares I got was the ones that I was allocated by my employer. Do you still have them? I still have them. You know, so I, I use some, but I kept some. I, I don't consider myself an active trader of shares. So when I buy shares, I think about, I mean, I've gone on to buy more shares and also shares for my children. And when there were BE share schemes, I also, you know, bought for, I didn't have children then, so I could afford to buy for nieces and nephews, which I did. And it was really just buy and hold. And uh, this is a long-term investment. It's not I'm working, I'm actively, you know, working. I don't need an income from these things. So it's kind of like buy and kind of forget about it. I've got some exposure and transactional transaction capital, so I don't know how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know, I've gone on to acquire shares that are outside of my employer. And that was obviously when you were still very young, you are still young. How did you choose the shares you bought? I guess I've got the benefit of also having worked in the investment management space and also of having done um, CFA and just having exposure to a lot of research and reading material. So I tend to read, you know, see which sectors I like. And then in that sector, look at the different entities that are there. But I always look at management. Who is in management? What is their experience? Who is on their board? What is their experience? How diversified is, is the board? Just in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of you know, social background, in terms of education, that whole thing. So I tend to look at all those. And when I think, okay, this board, I think it's solid, it's got solid people, and it's in a sector that I like, then I consider that kind of share. I don't own Bitcoin, but that kind of vibe. Sometimes I take a punt just a little bit and then see where it takes me. But uh, ordinarily, I just, you know, choose sector and then follow, 
Yeah, so top down. Do you invest in individual shares or do you also invest through collective investment schemes like unit trusts and ETFs? Yeah, I've got some investments in unit trusts, but where I've gone in unit trusts, because also my training comes from the unlisted, your non-traditional stuff. Where I've gone in unit trusts is actually my previous employer, Ashburton, because they're quite big in the unlisted credit space. So I've gone via them because I can't really access that on a listed market. So I tend to go on the alternative side, go on a Unitrust or CISs, and I tend to do more direct investments for listed companies. And maybe if I want precious metals, you know, there will be futures traded thing that's got maybe, you know, platinum or gold, then I'll go for that. So so it's very, very diversified. Is it a, a big portfolio? And, and how much time do you spend managing it? It's not a big portfolio at all. (laughs) And I honestly, I don't spend a lot of time managing. I'm a passive investor, so to speak. I don't spend a lot of time managing that. I do look at my statements, you know, once a month to see, you know, do I think I'm overexposed here? You know, can I add something there, you know, more here? But also working in the financial services gets very tricky because we are exposed to a lot of material non-public information. So to actually buy shares is very difficult. Because I cannot sit in a meeting where we're discussing something sensitive that is not public at Sasol, as an example, and then go and buy Sasol shares. No, I have to go through a whole... That used to happen in the past a lot. I know, I know. Yeah. So it it also makes it, you, you can't be an active trader when you work in the space that we work in because there's a whole process that you need to follow before you buy shares. There's actually a personal account trading policy that we, we have um, in-house. Well, this podcast is aimed at young investors, young professionals, people entering the job market. They start to earn salaries. They would like to build up a portfolio for various reasons, maybe save for a deposit on a house. Maybe they want to start an investment journey to create generational wealth. But many people open an account at a stockbroker like Easy Equities, and then they put in the first money And now they want to start that investment journey and then they don't know what to buy. So what would your advice be to somebody like that? And and let's assume this is money outside of their formal pension fund contributions and retirement savings. How do you think somebody like that should approach it? So I would say, you know, I mean, you can start investing with very little, I think 250 rand or 300 rand or, you know, less than 500 rand into easy equities. So I would advise somebody who is starting out, especially if somebody who is not maybe necessarily in the finance world or investment world, buy an exchange traded fund because it's got a a lot of other stocks. So it gives you diversification from the word go. And, you know, observe how it grows. Learn about stocks within that. Read a lot of that information that they send you. Some of it is really written in a language that is not very friendly. But go online, find reputable people. There's a lot of non-reputable people. Find reputable people. Read basic stuff, you know, buy the financial mail, buy the business day. Just learn and just follow. Read MoneyWeb. Read MoneyWeb. Read MoneyWeb, yeah. And then, you know, follow the news, listen to business news. 
you will pick up something. And uh, right now, some of the big themes are, you know, the social issues, the governance issues, because we have seen what has happened to the likes of Steinhoff. And when you actually look, you will see that there were big governance issues. So you start to pick up that language. So I wouldn't say go big when you start because you don't really know. Just dip your toes. But I would say maybe go into an exchange traded fund because it gives you diversification from the beginning and uh, keep going like that. That is a conservative approach. I've spoken to many other guests on this podcast and many also pick companies to invest in which they knew. You know, many people have a Vodacom cell phone contract and then they buy Vodacom. I don't always think the best approach, but people are buying stuff they are familiar with. Is that a, a good way to start? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Because, you know, let's say, you know, like you say, you've got an MTN cell phone, you're very happy with them, and you buy MTN stock. You know, now you start taking interest in them. You start wanting to see, are they pay me a dividend? And you start hearing stories about Nigeria. You're interested. What are they doing in Nigeria and why are they problem? And you actually learn quite a lot because it's something that you like. Or if you buy ShopRite, if you can afford it, <laughs> you know, you buy ShopRite. Suddenly, maybe then you don't go to pick and pay, you go to ShopRite. And when you start hearing that pick and pay is changing their, you know, their CEO, this and that, you start wondering what's happening. That in itself is a learning. Or you buy Old Mutual and then you hear stories about people claiming under their insurances and Old Mutual not paying out and people taking dead bodies to Old Mutual. You know, then you learn things to say, maybe I'm investing in the wrong. You know, it's good to, to do that. Because you have skin in the game, you look at those developments through a totally different lens. Yeah, that is very interesting. What are the biggest mistakes you think young people can make when they, they dip their toes into the investment world? I think sometimes they go with hype. They go with what's trending on social media or they follow advice from people who are maybe famous but not a very, <laughs> you know, people who shouldn't, you shouldn't be taking yeah. advice from. So, and then they go in there and they go big because I think young people these days are about, you know, they believe what they see and people are always splashing things and they think, okay, if I follow this guy, what he says, I'm also going to be there. There's very, I want it and I want it now. And then they end up following the wrong advice. So I would caution against that. You've got a, a big mathematics background and you're also a CFA and that marries the mathematical part with the investment theory at least. How smart do you think people should be to be successful investors? Is there a correlation between being smart and well-educated and being able to make money on, on the stock market? I don't think there's a, a strong correlation there. <laughs> We've seen uh, people lose lots of money. Very smart people put money in um, in Steinhoff. They put money in a lot of companies that have gone bust. So I think if there was a correlation between being smart and making money, we wouldn't be seeing any of those things. So I think there is an element of luck because you can never know everything, how the world's going to pan out. Nobody thought would have covid you know, and um, people always say, yeah, property is a safe thing, safe thing. And then look at what COVID has done to property. I think it gives you, you are able to maybe ask the correct questions or, you know, 
pointed questions. I like somebody who's completely out of that world, but I don't think it gives you any kind of advantage. Maybe I expressed it not as eloquently as I could have. Non-financial people, you get very smart lawyers, you get very smart engineers and doctors, and then sometimes there's a perception that because they are smart, they should also be good at investing. Anyway, I think that is maybe a debate for another day. Yeah, Sports people. Sports people, absolutely. Sometimes sports people get, you know, roped into market certain investment products. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you look at the issue of Hussein Bolt. Apparently, he took all his money and put it in a venture capital fund and that it went bust because he trusted people because they were going to trust. Yeah, that's maybe not the fastest thought you will have in the (laughs) investment world. Let's talk about you. What has been your very best investment you have ever made, the one you are the most proud of? I think studying further is one of the best return on investments I have heard because doing CFA, I paid for it out of my own pocket, even though my employer could have paid for it. Because I thought in my mind, if I take this money and I pay for it, I'll make sure I sit down and I actually do this thing and I do it properly. My master's was the same thing. And even when I was doing my honors in advancements of finance, I had a sponsor from the then ISCOR. can tell how old I am, ISCOR. And they wanted me to come and work after computer science. And I said, no, I don't want to work. Firstly, I don't like what I studied, but I also feel like I'm only 22. I don't really, I feel like if I miss this chance, it's gone. And I had no money to study. So I had to take out a loan. My mother had to take out a loan, but I stood surety for it because they said, well, you've got a good degree. We know ISCO is going to hire you so you can pay us back. You know, So that investing in my education is the best return on investment I can ever ask for. Absolutely. And now, what has been the worst investment you have ever made, one which you don't always want to talk about? Uh, I had a... A friend who was starting a spy beauty business, I think she's an amazing mind, but I think she might have been a little bit ahead of her time. She wanted to study a beauty business. And I looked at her numbers, she presented it. I knew at the back of my mind that, mm, you know, you, you can't have a business plan based on family and friends. <laughs> you, you just can't, you know. But then I thought, you know, let me let me put in some equity, an amount I can afford to lose. It was not a, you know, it was not a, a big amount and I thought look if this thing runs my upside is going to be amazing if it goes bad hey you know maybe there'll be some nail polish and stuff left over that I can use and yeah let's just say it didn't even survive six months <laughs> so that was the absolute worst but the friendship stayed intact normally that is a friendship ender do you regard investments outside of regulated markets like the equity market as investments for example art or wine or one of those type of assets if you can call it an asset i don't have enough money to to go into that world (laughs) but i mean i like art i'm not a wine drinker so i wouldn't go there i like art just because i like it i don't if it increases in price great but it's not Something that I'll actively look at uh, to invest is it's not it's not for me. You look at it for its beauty, not for the investment value. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Isabella, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Thank you so much, Ray, and uh, for having me here. That was Isabella Nisi. She is from Rand Merchant Bank. Show me the money. That was the Money Web. Be a better investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app.
MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.